At this time, the kids and youth are dismissed to the back. Good morning. Um, this week, we're continuing our God at Midnight series that I heard, like, laughing in the corner. Then I thought it was in my head, but it wasn't. Hello, children. Um, so this morning, we're continuing our Midnight, God at Midnight series. And as I thought about this week of how to kind of intro it again this morning, I thought about how midnight is um, kind of three things at once, right? It's a point, it's a place, it's a position. Midnight is a point, meaning that it's a point, it's a, it's a literally a point of the day, right? When the minute changes from 11.59 to midnight. Um, but then even deeper than that, it's a, it's a moment of time. And, and so I think for, for, for midnight and thinking about God at midnight is reminding ourselves of when is that moment of time that we have midnight? Or when is that moment of time when the, the minute clicks over and it is midnight? Because that midnight is not just it's the time that's frozen, or, but it's also this place. Um, and, and by place, I mean literally the physical place. You know, there's some people uh, like myself, when I was young and, and, and really bright, I went to did this thing called spelunking, Right. Most of us can't spell spelunk, and that's good because when you're spelunking, you're spelunking, right? Um, and, and I remember it being so dark that, that even in front of me, I couldn't see, right? So, so I could physically feel the darkness. And, and that was an interesting uh, adventure for a bunch of 15, 16-year-olds because we had to do something brave like trust the person in front of you, right? And, and trust the person behind you because if you didn't work together, you weren't getting out the cave. And everyone wanted to get out the cave. Right? But then there's people who talk about the place of midnight, where what they're suffering or, or going through is not just something in the mind, but it's something they feel. Right? They, they, they feel it with all their body. So which brings us to the thing that midnight is a, is a point of time, it's a place we think we physically are, but it's also a position. Right? So midnight could be your situation. And that speaks a little bit deeper to what we go through or what we experience because we may feel like I'm in this position and I'm trapped. Right? And so the purpose of this series is to remind us that whether you're in midnight as a point of time right now or it's a place that you feel like you're stuck in or this position that you can't get out of because of the situation, it's a reminder that God is there in the darkness. It's a reminder that God is there in power. It's a reminder that God is there with you in the darkness. Remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord will give you all a sign, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. But this concept of God being with us doesn't start when Jesus is born. It starts in the beginning. In fact, our story this morning is specifically going to look at the, the judges or, or Samson specific, specifically. Specifically. Struggling with words this morning. Really good thing when your job is to give words, you know? But as I thought about this God is there with us, Emmanuel doesn't begin when Jesus is born. Because remember, after they leave Egypt, after Moses runs his course, and after Joshua is, is installed as leader, you remember what the Lord says to him in Joshua 1, even 6 to 9, the whole passage is about what? Be strong and courageous. And if you don't get it, it's like, be strong and very courageous. And if you don't get it, it says, be strong and courageous again. And then he tells Joshua what? To, to look at the book of the law, right, as something you not only know and read, but something you meditate on and do. And after all of that, what does the Lord say to Joshua? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's one of the promises we have with God. 
that if we are at our own midnight, whatever moment of time we're in, God is there with us. If we are in our own midnight, whatever place we're in, where we feel the darkness, God is there with us. If we are in our own midnight, whatever position or situation we're in, God is there with us in the darkness. God is there with us in power. Now, last week as I was talking about midnight, I said that, that sometimes we walk into our own midnights. That it's not just like, oh, the, 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 the clock ticked to midnight or, or hey, um, I happen to be in a cave, right? Sometimes we, we, we choose to walk into the cave. And sometimes we stay in the cave because it's comfortable. Or sometimes we don't know we're in the cave because we've been so blinded to these decisions that we've been making. That's really us shutting our eyes to the light of God, staying in the darkness and sleeping in the darkness because we're comfortable. We walk consistently in the wrong way. We turn our eyes off of Jesus. We turn our hearts off to the Spirit. We turn our minds off of the Lord, our God. And we not only go away, but we stay away. I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes the dark might just be our own doing. And that's hard. Because if it's someone else's fault, I feel good. But what if I made decisions and took steps and did things that ended me in this cave? Now, we got to be careful here because I'm not trying to say that, like, we messed up, we deserve it. But I am saying actions have consequences. And steps in the wrong direction might leave you in the wrong place, position, and point. And I don't think there's a better summary of the life of Samson than that. But even in this story, we learn the same things about midnight. That God is there with us, and God is there with us in power. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much. That whether this morning we feel the midnight as a, as a point of time, as a place we can't escape, or as a position and situation that overwhelms us, we thank you that you promised to be Emmanuel, that you promised to be with us in the darkness, with us in power, with us, because you're the God who doesn't leave us nor forsake us. You're the God who, who's our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? What shall we fear? You're the God who promises to see us through. And God, this morning as we look at this story, we're thankful, we're grateful, we're blessed, we're happy. Because your faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness. Your goodness is not dependent on our goodness. Your love is not dependent on our love and faithfulness to you. So God, we pray that if we are at midnight, help us to know that the morning is coming. Help us to know that if we feel the darkness, the light is already shining. Help us to have eyes to see it. And help us to know that it's okay if we feel overwhelmed by this situation because you're the God who's strong when we're weak. You're the God who works together for our good. And you're the God who, if we open our eyes, turn our hearts, turn our minds to you, you will lead us through. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Judges chapter 16. I'll be reading three verses in Judges 16. Um, as I was studying Samson this week, I realized that my Sunday school teachers did a really good job cleaning up Samson. And if you're not sure what I'm saying, just read this first sentence. I don't remember this part in Sunday school. That was just me, right? But we'll go through it, and we'll go through it together. This is in the Bible. 
In fact, if you read the whole story of Samson from Judges 13 to 16, there's some, Samson's a very interesting person. If I used to think David and Peter are one of the most real people in the Bible, then this week came and I read Samson, I was just like, wow. Wow, that's what he just said that. He, he just said that again. Let's go. Verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza, also called Aza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Again, not in Sunday school. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So one of the things about the book of Judges is that a lot of us, whether through Sunday school or a quick reading of it, is we tend to think of the book of Judges as like a collection of hero stories, right? A collection of all these great deeds that, that men of God and women of God did. Until you go back and read the stories again. Because what you'll see in the book of Judges is that, yes, they've left Egypt. Yes, they've, they've kind of gone through all these enemies to get to the promised land or the, the trip towards the promised land. But what you see in Judges is, is if Exodus is the high point, Judges is the reality point. Because in Judges, it's not just about who God is, right? Remember God's name that appears all throughout the Old Testament is Yahweh. I am that I am. Meaning that I am the God who's forever. I'm the God who was, I'm the God who is, I'm the God who will be. But another uh, understanding, or even if you look at Yahweh as this umbrella term, the, the, the primary thing God wants you to know is that I'm always there. I'm the God who was, is, and will be. But there's another beautiful component of the name of Yahweh, and that is I am whoever I've revealed myself to be. So that's where you get the love, the mercy, the compassion, the grace, the goodness, the kindness. Because if God has been good, that's who God is. If God has been kind, that's who God is. If God has revealed love, mercy, compassion, that's who God is. But when you get to the book of Judges, you see that God's people are on both a spiritual decline and a political decline. They go from having their eyes on God to having their eyes on the world. You know, a lot of times when we talk about uh, Israel wanting a monarch, we forget the book of Judges. We forget the trip into the promised land. We're just like, well, they just wanted a king and they stopped believing in God and they didn't trust God. They started that way before kings happened to come. They start that in the book of Judges. But yet as you go through this book, as you read these stories, as you meet these characters, you'll see that Yahweh, the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be, reveals himself as gracious through repeated deliverance of God's people. Not dependent on their goodness, not dependent on their faithfulness, not dependent on even them being following him. But just because God is good. And if you look at the book of Judges, they, they kind of break it down into seven judges, right? And I was going to have a chiastic structure, and I was like, most of us can't spell chiastic, so we're not going to do it, right? But here's the thing I want you to hold on when you read the book of Judges, right? There's seven judges, and there's seven periods of leadership in Judges. The first half are the positive judges. The second half, including our boy Samson this morning, are the negative judges. Now, I was like, well, that's not that bad. It goes from positive to negative. And I read in one commentary, I was like, no, no, no. It was almost like the person was speaking to me. I was like, no, 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 Hank. It's not positive to negative. It's negative to more negative, right? But we try to draw out the positives from the first half, right? 
So where you have Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, who's a judge, and then she has Barak, the man, to, to kind of do the military stuff, right? But she's a prophetess, right? And, and then you have Gideon, which is tricky. Because, again, in Sunday school, Gideon was good. That was one of the good Sunday school stories. Then I read the second half, and it's like the meme you had us in the first half, right? Like, that's what Gideon is. You get to the second half, and you're like, wow, this is tricky. Like, this is a guy we lifted up, right? But generally speaking, for Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, and Barak, in the first half of Gideon, the people obeyed the law, they worshiped God, and they were united as one. And I thought about that for us this morning. It's just like, I wonder if that's how we can get summed up. As Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, we obeyed the word of God, we worshiped God, and we're united as one. I was like, yeah, that sounds good, right? Then you get to the second half of Gideon. And Gideon, who goes through all these wonderful miracles that we love to talk about, actually helps lead the people into idolatry. Again, I missed that in Sunday school, right? So then you have Gideon, well, second half Gideon, Abimelech, Jephthah, and again, our boy Samson. And now it's the opposite of the first half. Now they're blatantly disobeying the law. Now they're blatantly worshiping idols. And now the people are divided. So again, a lot of us who study this stuff, we're just like, oh, well, it's after David, you know, and like the kingdom split. But it's a, it kind of is a nice reality church to be like, a reality check to be like, wow, God's people struggle to be together from the beginning. Not because of who God is, but because of who we are. And how when we take our eyes off of Jesus, take our eyes off of God, we stop following the thing God calls us to follow, or following the God who, who, who loves us, who's there for us, who's revealed himself as goodness, as loving, as merciful, as compassionate, we struggle to even hold together. And not just as a group, but even ourselves. And so by the time we get to Samson, we see that the, the beginning of Samson's narrative, right? I think it's, it's, it's Judges 13.1. They sum up it by saying what? The people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that should hit us because in the beginning, when God creates everything, in the eyes of the Lord, everything was what? Good. And now as we're introduced to Samson... That the conclusion that the writers have is like, the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. How would you like to come onto the scene? <laughs> it's just like, I choose you. But the darkness was that the people took their eyes off of God, took their eyes off of Yahweh, stopped following God, and were evil. And it's in the midst of this, and a lot of people have seen the, 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 the kind of the similarities between Samson and Jesus, right? And I'm like, this is how you know we all fall short. Because there are similarities, but then there's a lot of falling short between Samson and Jesus. But as you see Samson, he's a son of promise. The angel of the Lord comes down to his barren mother and says, hey, you are going to have a son. And not only are you going to have a son, you're going to abstain from wine and you're going to follow Nazarite tradition. The Nazarites were a certain branch of, of, of Judaism or God's people following God back then where you pledged your entire life to God and you gave up anything that was considered a vice, right? So it wasn't just that they were the priests, right? It was a special type of priest that were called upon to do special type of things. And one of the marks that we remember from Samson, this was right in Sunday school, is that yes, he didn't drink wine, but he also didn't cut his hair. Right, So the Nazarites not only had a, a look and a, a dedication of stuff they would do, but you could tell a Nazarite on the outside. That's important. Because I can see you're a Nazarite. But as we go through the life of Samson, we see that his actions are not quite Nazarite-like. And that should challenge us. Because a lot of us on the outside 
We look like really good people. We look like Christians. But what about our actions? What about our words? What about our interactions? Do they look like our Jesus? Do they look like God? who was, who is, who will be, who reveals himself as, as kind and good and merciful and true. But yet and still, Samson gets this promise to his mother, I know you're barren, but a child's going to come. Raise that child because he belongs to God in a special kind of way, and that child will be a deliverer to your people from the Philistines. The Philistines don't just become an enemy when David shows up. They're an enemy even back then. And imagine how wonderful it must have felt to be Samson's mother. Again, we've talked about this. In a culture where producing heirs and children was where your ultimate value lay, she was barren. Yet we serve a God who sees. And for her, God came through in this way, right? And, and it's tricky when you talk about fertility because in that culture it was elevated, right? And, and, and there's, there's people even today who struggle with fertility. And that's hard because you're like, God, why don't you see me too? And I think that's impossible to live with. And that's, that's something that I think we as a community need to journey with people, right? Because I think we put, not, I don't say we put pressure on, right? But think about this the next time you, you, you meet a young couple who maybe haven't had kids and say, when are you having babies, right? Like, I think it's something we have to actually be mindful of how we interact with people because we don't know what they're going through. But I know for her story, in this moment of time, God sees her, God comes through, and she's faithful. What's fascinating to me is that the husband was like, well, I don't even know. You say you saw the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord told you what? Well, hey, God. I know you sent the angel of the Lord first, but, like, I mean, if you're really going to send this message, like, you just send it to me too, right? And th th that's fascinating to me because, again, you have in Scripture where it's the women who are faithful and the men who are not, right? Like, it's literally God gives her this promise, and, and he doesn't believe it. So the angel of the Lord comes back. He realizes, oh, this might not be the angel of the Lord. This might actually be God. I'm going to die, right? And it's the woman's faithfulness, Samson's mom, who's just like, no, 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 no. If God wanted to kill us, we'd be dead already, right? But this thing that he promised us, this son that he's promised us, let us have faith, right? Again, it's the women's faith that uphold the men. But, you know, that's just a side conversation. And so he raises up. He's born the son of promise. He's raised in, in this area that's, again, you have, he's from the, the, the Danite tribe, which is not one of the, the famous tribes. It's not the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Like, it's not one of the kingly tribes. It's not even one of the ones that, that were able to keep land. In fact, the land that the Danites got was close to where? Philistine. So this is literally one of the weakest tribes, right? So I find it fascinating that out of the weakest tribe, God raises up the strongest man. And so Samson grows up, and when he grows up, it's time to marry. And instead of doing what you're supposed to do, is in that culture, you go to your parents and say, who do you think among our people that God has for me? Samson chooses to marry a Philistine. And you see this in his life time and time again. He goes to a Philistine town. He meets this woman, falls in love with her, we'll say, right? Um, but along the way, something tricky happens. He's going to get ready for this wedding. He is with his parents, and I don't know if they get separated, but somehow a lion attacks him. Right? That's how you know Samson's special. A lion attacks him, and the rest of the story says he just rips it apart like a baby goat. And I'm like, first of all, I've seen these baby goats. Right? Like, like rip it apart as a baby goat doesn't make it easier to me. 
right? Like, it's just like ripping apart like a piece of bread. I'm like, I got that one. <laughs> you know, I could do that. But it's like he rips apart the line like a baby goat with his bare hands. I was just like, I mean, that still seems kind of hard, right? <laughs> and, and as he's leaving, that's that famous story where, you know, like the, the, the bees come in the carcass of the lion, and then they make honey, and then he eats the honey, and he goes back, right? And, and what's, what's interesting is that he uses all of that and tells this riddle. As a way, so when he gets to the town, he gets to the wedding, they're going to have, you know, 30 groomsmen. They're not even his groomsmen. They just give them to you. Like, these are your 30 groomsmen. He's like, okay, right? So he looks at it as like, well, this is an opportunity to get some wealth, right? So he's like, I'm going to tell you all this riddle. And if you don't solve it, you got to give me 30, like, outfits, basically, 30 tunics, 30 outfits. And, and like, you just got to bless me with 30, right? And the riddle is basically like, you know, the, the, the answer is the lion, the bees, and the honey, right? But the riddle is something like, what comes out of the mouth of an eater, you know, that is sweet? And it's like, it's tricky. Read it. You know, I probably should have written it down. But read it. But the point is, the wife again comes to him and was just like, hey, listen, um, they want the answer. And he says, I'm not telling them the answer. I'm going to get 30 things. He's like, what are you talking about, right? And she comes to him again and says, but they want the answer. Now they're threatening to kill me and my, 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 my family. And he's like, well, I mean, fine, Right? And so he gives her the answer. And what I did remember, remember I said, what well, Samson is real. Samson is not necessarily what, look, God, like, he has this line where he says, you would basically not have gotten the answer unless you plowed my heifer. And that's how he refers to his wife. Like, this is the trickiness of Samson, right? This is what we have to live with. He's a judge. He's a Nazarite. He's supposed to be the leader of the people of God, and he calls his own wife a heifer because, right, like, she is forced. When they said, we're going to kill you, she's like, I need to answer. They're going to kill me. Like, she's not betraying him necessarily. Her life is on the line, right? And after this betrayal, he gets so mad. He goes to another Philistine town, kills 30 men, takes their clothes and throws it at their feet and leaves and storms off. He goes into a cave. The, the Philistines come and like, we want Samson. We got to kill him. And the Israelites are like, yo, Samson, <laughs> you got to go. It's either all of us or you. Sacrifice, right? And Samson says, if you don't kill me, I'll go. Just tie me up, right? So he goes and he's tied up. And that's the famous story where now with the jawbone of a donkey, he kills a 1,000 Philistines, right? And, and every single time you're seeing Samson make wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision, but God is still bailing him out. The Spirit of the Lord is still coming upon him. He's still doing great and mighty things. But this vengeance of a killing a 1,000, it comes because he goes back, wants to visit his wife, and, and the father's just like, no, no, no. Actually, one of those 30 groomsmen, since we didn't trust you anymore, like we gave her to him. And that's when he gets so angry, he destroys their fields, right? Like it's just Samson has decision after decision that's bad, right? He has all this vengeance that's living inside of him. But then you get to chapter 16 and these three verses that we'll get back to because the rest of 16 is Delilah. And that's the story that most people remember. But you'll see Delilah is actually very similar to his first wife because there again Samson falls in love. There again, Samson is betrayed with his secret, right? Like, don't cut your hair. But finally, he's betrayed, or he, he gives the answer to his wife. But this time, instead of the spirit coming upon him in power, he's captured. And he doesn't get redemption until they take him to their temple. In the middle of their worship for the idolaters, God, Dagon, right? He says, God, give me the strength, come upon me. And he destroys them through his death, right? 
before Delilah, we have our story. And our story is tricky. Because throughout this story, the only mention of midnight is these three verses. But it's an easy one to kind of just zoom right through. The, the, the point is, as Samson at Gaza is a reminder to us, right, that God's still faithful at midnight. The point that we are in the story is that after vengeance, right, after he's betrayed by his father-in-law, after he's betrayed by the Philistines yet again, after he, he has to literally betrayed by Israelites in a sense because they offered him up to be killed. After all of this, after all his vengeance of destroying fields, of killing a thousand people and, and killing many more, before Delilah enters the trip to Gaza. What's fascinating about Gaza is that the ancient name of Gaza was actually Aza, meaning the strong. So if you're tracking along, right, for those English majors, if you're tracking along, you got Dan, which is the weakest tribe, is going to produce Samson, who's the strongest man. You got Gaza or Aza, which literally means the strong, that God is going to leave to its knees through the work of Samson. And it's not because Samson's faithful, because the story begins, why? He goes to visit with a prostitute. And it's funny reading Bible in other translations, right? Because some of them would be like, try to like walk around and he spend the night with her. Right? Then you read translation, he had sex with her. I'm like, that's in the Bible? Right? But that's what Samson is doing. So the possession he's in is a mess. It's a whole big mess. His vengeance, right? Remember, we know the scripture, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That was not Samson's mantra. Vengeance is mine, says Samson. Right? You lied to me, I kill you. That was the mode of Samson. And he kept doing it over and over and over again. And what's great, what's wild to me is in this story, you have Samson, who is not just a Jew, but he's a judge, and he's a Nazarite. And yet as you read from 13, 14, 15, and 16, you have to remind yourself that he's truly a judge and a Nazarite. Because the only time that Nazarite seems to show up is when his hair is on the line. And you see in these three verses that Samson is selfish, he's ill-advised, and he's naive. He's selfish because just like when he swells up in vengeance and acts out and kills people, he's only worried about himself and what he can do. He's ill-advised because it wasn't enough that he disobeyed his parents, disobeyed the word of the Lord, and that he married a Philistine and went through that whole episode. Now, as the judge of Israel, he's spending nights with prostitutes. And he's naive. He's naive because he thinks that I'm going to go into another Philistine story. If you're tracking along, right, this man has killed 30 men in a Philistine city, right? He has, you know, 30 brides or groomsmen in his uh, wife's first wife's city that he's basically disrespected by just throwing the bloody clothes on them and saying, here you go, here's your gift, right? He's destroyed fields. He's killed a 1,000 people. Yet he's still naive to think that, like, you know what, I'm going to go hang out in Gaza. And while he's at the prostitute, the people of Gaza hear, and the strong gathered, and they gather all around him. Because the Philistines weren't just a, a group that was oppressing them. They were enemies. And they were keeping score, too, of all the things he had done, all the people he had killed. And so they show up for judgment. And that is to kill Samson. 
what's fascinating to me is that midnight comes in verse 3. And I don't know if them gathering around is what woke up Samson. I don't know if he just didn't have a care in the world and woke up for a, a, a cold cup of water, a glass of water. But we know he wakes up at midnight. He wakes up in the middle of his sin. And he looks around and he sees enemies all around him. And I don't know. But I hope it encourages you to know that God's goodness and faithfulness isn't dependent on you. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be 100% faithful for God to be 100% good to you? I'm not excusing sin. I'm not saying God calls us to walk in sin and to sin and uh, sin greatly, I think is what Martin Luther said, right? Like That's not what I'm saying. But aren't you glad that even in the middle of the darkness, and sometimes the darkness that you cause, God can still be good. And God has a greater plan for Samson. Another way to take out the Philistines, if you will. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Now, I don't know, you've probably seen it in the movies, right? But cities back then were kind of like our gated communities today. Like the, 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 the gate of the city was your entry point. And it's, 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 it's interesting that he somehow gets up. No one touches him. He marches to the city gate, right? It says he rips off, tears them loose, bar and all. He puts them on his shoulders, and he carries them to the top of the hill that faces Heba. And I was just like, I mean, that's kind of wild. I'm guessing that's pretty heavy, you know? Like, these are city gates, right? This is the entry point that people will come in, horses will come in. Like, this is your primary defense, right, into your city. And I was just like, but this said he was at Gaza. How did he end up at Hebron? Like, how long is that? 37.3 miles. So it's not just anger that comes upon Samson. You know how when you're angry, he's like, you can do stuff? That tends to fade after, you know, half of a .1 mile. <laughs> right? Like, like, he goes 37.3 miles. And I think it's because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And, and, and he rips that apart and he goes off. And now Gaza is less worried about Samson and more worried about their defenses. Because now any enemy can march straight into town and do whatever they want. They have no defense. So what do we learn from these three verses? What do we learn from this little story, right? I think the midnight here is that we belong to God, but we still sin and sin greatly. And I think that's something we have to not just know and remember, but that's something we have to be so aware of that it inspires us to actually make good choices or if we're living a life of sin, turn around. You can belong to God and still sin. The question becomes, are you going to keep taking the steps in the wrong direction and, and sinning and sinning and sinning or are you going to turn around? And it might be a heavy gate you got to put on, but you're going to turn around and actually walk away. Another thing I think we learned about midnight here is that we are set apart from God. Samson was a Jew, a judge, a Nazarite. But he still chose the things of the world. And so for us, it's not just a temptation. It's a reality that we walk in, that we can belong to God, that God can choose us, but we might still choose the world, the values of the world, the things of the world, what the world says is important. We belong to God, God chose us, but we're still choosing the world. If I think about the Nazarite vow that he makes, 
I found that even at midnight, we are called to serve others. Yet midnight is when we only focus on serving ourselves. And this is how you can have Samson's entire story summed up by saying the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because instead of being the servant, Samson was only worried about serving himself. And the last thing is you picture Samson lying in the bed is that when we sin, it sometimes rallies our enemies around us. And we see this all the time, right? A great person falls, and everyone's got a story. And I think it's important that those stories get out. Don't, hear, don't get me wrong. It's important that those stories get out, right? When we think about not giving the devil a footstool, it's not just that you don't want to give the devil a footstool into your heart. But Samson, as the judge of Israel, as a Nazarite, as the leader of God's people, because of his great sin, the enemies actually have a case against him. And, and so midnight is when we sin, we see enemies rally around us. But just like after the dark comes the dawn, after midnight we have morning. And so what do I want us to hold on to? These four things. God is faithful even and especially when we're not. This story isn't a story about Samson's faithfulness. And I think, I hope my life is about my faithfulness, but I know I fall short. I know I fall short. But I'm so grateful that God is faithful, even and especially when I'm not. The second thing I want us to hold on to is that God chose us, but God still chooses us. There's some of us in a place, in a point, in a position of darkness this morning where we don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we matter. We don't feel like God actually sees us. But no, God still chooses you. Even when you choose the world, God chooses you. It's beautiful because Yahweh, God who was, he did love you. God who is, he does love you. God who forever will be, God will forever love you. God is still choosing you today. That's why you can always come back home. Another easy one is this, God makes a way, even and especially at midnight. I don't think when Samson went to bed that night, he thought to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rip off the city gate and march 37.3 miles. I can't even walk 37.3 miles. I'm such a city kid. If you tell me I got to drive 37 miles this afternoon, I'll be like, are you sure? Like, is this what we need to do? Can you drive, right? I don't think that's what he knew was going to happen. But I love that we can rely on our God even when we fall short. I love that we can rely on our God to come upon us even when we don't deserve it. I love that we can rely on our God because God loves us even when we're not loving to God. And the last thing I want us to kind of leave with, right? God's faithful even especially when we're not. God chooses us or God chose us and God's still choosing us. God makes a way even especially at midnight. The last one I think may be the most important for all of us this morning. But our surrender always leads to powerful victories. So the question becomes, if we've been taking steps in the wrong direction, are we willing to surrender today? If we're in this moment of time where darkness is all around us, are we willing to surrender today? If we can feel the darkness inside of us, around us, all, oh, everywhere our eyes can see, are we willing to surrender today? Because it's only in surrender that we remember 
that a God who was, a God who is, a God who will be, is the same God who's revealed his love, his mercy, his compassion, his goodness. That's the God we serve. That's the God we know. That's the God who chooses you even today. Amen? I'd like to call up our worship team. We're going to close with singing a pretty familiar song, Promises. And as we sing this song, I want us to think about, I want you to think about what promises God has made to you. What promises are you holding on to? Whether midnight's a point, a place, or a position, or whether or not you can say, God, honestly, I need to surrender today. I need to surrender this thing. I need to surrender myself. But may you rest in the promise of the goodness of God. Amen? May you rest in the promise that God is faithful. Amen? May you rest in the promise that our God loves you. Our God loves you. Our God loves you. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.
like to remember that just like our lives, right? All of your life is more than your eulogy, right? And hopefully all of your life is way more than your epitaph that goes, right? And so when we think about Samson, it's important for us to remember that these are, are scenes along the way. But I, I think it's fascinating that at the end of his life in the New Testament, in that great faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, right? When I was in Sunday school, they told me this was the Hall of Fame, right? And as a, as a nice, you know, prideful young man, I read that. I'm like, how is this the Hall of Fame? But God says we who believe in Jesus are better, you know? So it's like, how are they Hall of Fame, but we're better? That's just me. You take with that what you want, right? But I think it's important to remember that Samson appears in Hebrews 11. And so as we go, I hope you're empowered by that. Because God does see when we're not faithful. God does see when we stumble. God does see when we live in the darkness and are in the darkness because of our own choosing. But if we're willing to come back, if we're willing to be faithful, if we're willing to believe and follow, we can be Hall of Famers of faith too. Amen? Our Father God, we thank you so much for how deeply you love us. We thank you that even this morning, God, you choose us. And if we're honest, we're not actively choosing you every moment of every day. Or if we're even more honest, like right now we're living in darkness and it's become so comfortable. We're choosing everything in the world and everything outside but you. So God, we pray and ask for your forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for falling short. We ask for forgiveness for the good we've left undone. We ask for forgiveness for taking steps and steps and steps in the wrong direction. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, we rely on you as the one who doesn't leave us nor forsake us, as the one who empowers us to be strong and courageous, as the one who says, where you are, there I will be. So Lord, help us to know this morning that you are good, that you are merciful, that you're true, that your goodness is not dependent on our faithfulness, but Lord, help us to be faithful, that your mercy is not dependent on us being good, but Lord, help us to be merciful too. That your love is not dependent on how much we follow you, how much we love you. But God, help us to be more loving. We thank you for stories like Samson, which is hard. Because it's not simple. It's not black and white. It's not easy, but it's real. So Lord, wherever we are in the Samson story, help us to know that we can come home again. Help us to know that we can turn. Help us to see the true light that's already shining. Help us to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's morning after the darkness. Help us to know that not only that you're with us, but you are a light in our salvation. And there's no darkness we should ever fear. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.